Good morning. It is great to see you. Thank you for uh, being with us today. Looking forward to spending a few minutes studying. So uh, I know Luke did a great job reading for us from the book of Proverbs. Uh, we've been studying the book of Colossians. So I'd encourage you to be opening to Colossians chapter three. We've been looking at that for um, several weeks now. We're going to get back there one more time and sort of make a few um, final points here from Colossians 3, even though we're going to look at that passage in Proverbs in just a moment because it is so uh, important, such a key uh, for the ideas that we're thinking through today. Um, we've been emphasizing the concept of the Christian family based on what's written in Colossians 3. We know that our homes are under attack. I don't think that's a, an alarmist way of saying things. I think it's a realistic way of looking at things. Because it's not even a new statement to make. I mean, it's always been the case that Satan wants to destroy what's good and holy. Satan always wants to do the opposite of what it is that the Lord seeks to establish and accomplish. But just looking in human history in recent years, I don't know, as recent as the 1800s, the mid-1800s, the Communist, Communist Manifesto said plainly that they looked forward to a time where children were educated by the state and not by parents. Remove the family situation. Remove parents from the equation. Much more recently, modern-day Marxists are clear that their goal is to disrupt, disrupt the Western-prescribed nuclear family structure. Western-prescribed? The family is not something that was invented after World War II. The family was invented by God, ordained, shared, created, planned by God. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The Lord said to Adam and Eve, you too are to have children, bear fruit, multiply. You are to be the first of what will be many just like you. Our standard is not some Western prescribed idea of family. Our families are defined by, ordered by, clearly the standard is the Word of God. Amen? The standard is the Word of God. And so we build who we are and we build who we strive to be only on the revealed will of God. That's what we seek to do. I, I loved what, how Tommy, one of our shepherds here, how Tommy prayed a moment ago that it's not just the elders, but he said that this church family demands that the truth be taught. I love that. I said amen to that. Because what we seek to do is we seek to say, Lord, what is it? Who is it you'd have us to be? What is it that you want us to look like? How do you want us to think? How do you want us to talk? How do you want us to live? And we look here to your revealed will, your holy word. The one who made us is the very one who shares with us what's best. The one who made us is the one who tells us, here's what's most advantageous for you. And he also tells us, you know what? Here's what's going to bring me, God says. Here's what's going to bring me the most glory. And so we do those things that will be what's obedient to the Lord. And in turn, we do those things that will be the best for us 
And we do those things that bring him the best glory, the greatest glory. And it's all the exact same thing. When we're obedient to the will and the plan of God, all of those things happen. So, we're looking at Colossians 3. We're thinking specifically today about what it means to be added to the family. In Colossians chapter 3, let's read a few lines here beginning at verse 18. Because we have this description of the family. Colossians 3.18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, don't provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance. And we're going to really think a lot about that concept, receiving an inheritance from the Lord as our reward. He says, you are serving the Lord Christ. The wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality. Then 4.1 says, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So in passages like this, this is not the only place the Lord does this, Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6, and again and again, the Lord emphasizes this exact same message where he says, going back to the garden, remember Jesus would say in Matthew 19, have you not heard that this is the plan of God? Going back to Genesis 1 and 2. A man leaves his family. A woman leaves her family. They're joined together and create a new family. And that's God's plan since the Garden of Eden. Genesis 1, Matthew 19. That's God's plan. And so God emphasizes the importance of building our homes, building our lives according to his plan. I came across a, a quote in recent weeks. It's an old quote, but... Uh, one that probably bears repeating here today. Uh, we know, you know, schools here in this area, we know Stephen Covey, the seven habits of highly effective people. And so Dr. Covey has written a number of books. One book he wrote was called this, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. And he says this in the opening lines of, of that book. Dr. Covey said, Family is the most important fundamental organization in the world, the literal building block of society and no civilization has ever survived its breakup. So the Lord made it plain a long time ago, this is my plan for you. And then people these days looking back on things says, you know what, the Lord was right. The Lord knew what he was doing. He says, this is my model, this is my plan, this is what's going to be best for you and for all involved. Live the way I've taught you, live the way I've revealed to you. So what is it that biblical families should look like what should biblical families look like? Let me put it to you this way. It's really, really simple to describe. It might be more difficult to live, but it's really simple to describe. Here's what a biblical family should look like. Parents who love and follow the Lord, and then they instill that love and obedience in their children. That's it. Parents who love the Lord, and then they instill that love in their children. Now, remember I said it's easy to describe and more difficult to live out. But that's the passage Luke read for us a moment ago, isn't it? In Proverbs 14, 26. 
in the fear of the Lord, one, the, the person, the father or the mother, or maybe, you know, going back, you know, Timothy owed a great debt of service to his grandmother. So maybe for you, it'd be your aunt, your uncle, your grandmother, your grandfather. But he says here, the fear of the Lord is residing in this one person and it gives them strong confidence. And then because of that person who fears the Lord, because of that person who knows the Lord so well and seeks to love Him and respond to Him and live for Him, it says that in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children then have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. When one has strong confidence and deep strength that comes only for the Lord, from the Lord, they then become a place of refuge, a place of security. But it goes beyond the parents because the parent is not the key. The key is the one who's followed. The key is the one that devotion is shown to, Almighty God. And so, there's shelter and security in the parents and the home itself, but this is something that just points beyond that. It points beyond the home to our eternal home of Almighty God. The security and the refuge is in the Lord. Amen? That's where the, the security for, for our three boys is not going to be found in me. I'm going to get emotional. It's not found in me. The security for Ike and Jet and Jake and every other next generation security is in Almighty God. If they try to place their faith in me, we're all going to fail. But when they find that their refuge, their rescue, their security, their shelter is in the Lord, then we win. And so what I want to focus on in this last time for us to think about the Christian home, the Christian family, is thinking about the significance. Again, I know we've done it before. I know we've looked here at Colossians 3.1 and we've talked about how important it is to be added to the kingdom, be raised up with Jesus. But I think we really, 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 one more time, need to think through this concept of just what it means to be raised with Christ because it's in this place, being raised with Him, that we are added to this new family. So let's think about the first point. Because he says here, if you read with me, Colossians 3, verse 1. Remember, he says it this way, Colossians 3, 1. If then, if then you have been raised with Christ. So that's a, that's a key moment. If you've been raised with Christ, then all these other things are going to be what follows and what flows next. But if I've, if I've not been raised with Christ, then I'm sort of at a standstill because these other things aren't applying to me as one who's been raised with him. And so we've got to start there by kind of understanding, identifying with ourselves what it means to be raised with Christ. If you've been raised with Christ, what you're going to do is seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So here's the first point that I want to make about what it is to be raised with Christ. If I've been raised with Christ, it means I'm now part of a brand new family. So let's focus on this idea for a second. Remember, you've got to go back in order to understand the depths of Colossians 3.1, I've got to understand Colossians 2.12, right? So just look up a little bit there in your Bible. And notice that he says, if you've been buried with him in baptism, see Colossians 2.12, you've been buried with him in baptism, 
in which you're also raised with him through faith and the power working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So note the logical progression here of what it means to be raised with Christ, Colossians 3, 1. Have you been raised with Christ? Well, what he's saying is this. Number one, you've been buried with Christ in baptism. Number two, you've been raised with Christ in the power of the resurrection. That means by the power of God, you've gone from death to life. And it means that we've gone from being sinners who were living under the dark, heavy weight and the guilt of sin. We've been forgiven of sin. So not only does it mean death to life, not only does it mean forgiveness of sins, but being raised with Christ also means that's the time when we were added to a new family. See, the Lord seeks to make this point a couple different ways. He always does it surrounded by family, but sometimes he talks about being added to the family of God by, by birth. John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, right? John 3, 3 to 5. You've been born again. If you're not born again, you don't get to see the kingdom of heaven. He says there in John 3 that what that means is you've been born of water and the Spirit. And when you've been born again, you are now part of this brand new family. So sometimes in Scripture, God talks about birth to talk about being added to the new family. But other times in Scripture, God talks about adoption. He talks about adoption as the way that we are brought into this new family of Christ. One of the... I wouldn't be able to list all the different reasons. It's wonderful, and I feel thankful beyond means and blessed to be a preacher of the gospel. But one of the many, many, many reasons why it's a great blessing to be a preacher is that every now and then, you get to play just this super-duper small part of a family when they adopt. It's been my privilege over the years to, to write a few reference letters for families that they're seeking to, to bring a, a child into their home, into their family. It's incredible. It's incredible. What's, what is sweeter, what's more incredibly beautiful than seeing a precious little child who needs so desperately a place of refuge, like we read in Proverbs 14, and find that refuge with a family who not only loves them, but loves the Lord. Nothing's more beautiful than that. But as beautiful as adoption is, you know what it means, right? It means that there's something, it means that there's something wrong. Either through death or through sin or, or something unforeseen, something has, has gotten broken. And so adoption is restorative. Adoption is redemptive. And it's necessary because of sin. And that's why it's such an appropriate picture for God's salvation that's offered to all of us. Because we need a place of refuge. We need a place of security. And in God's infinite and perfect love, he chooses us and he offers us a place in his family. Read with me in Romans chapter 8. This concept of adoption is used throughout the New Testament. So let me share with you just a few places that in the continuing theme of what God tells us about being added to his family, whether by birth or by adoption, it's the same imagery that he's using to teach the same lesson. He says in Romans 8, verse 12, let's read there, Romans 8, 12. So then, brothers, we're debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. 
For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but listen to this, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. And so he's saying, and so here's a great privilege. So thereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, been adopted into his family. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Drop down to verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth till now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we're saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we don't see, we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. And then Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4 beginning at verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Listen to this. This is what it says. This, here's why Jesus came to the earth. And in fact, it says, here's why He came to the earth at just the time He did, some 2,000 years ago, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And this just keeps going. The same idea. Sometimes the Lord doesn't even use the word adoption, but He's emphasizing the same point. Like in John chapter 1. In John 1 at verse 12, the Bible says, To all who did receive Him, that is Jesus the Christ, to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right for them to be adopted into the family. Because it says they were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but they were born of the will of God, adopted into the family. That's why Jesus came. In John chapter 20 at verse 17, in John 20, 17, Jesus says to Mary, Mary, don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers. Those that Jesus says, go to my brothers. So we're part of the same family. Go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father, and look at this, and to your Father, to my God and your God. He says, in essence, when you've been raised with Christ, remember Colossians 3, 1? If you're raised with Christ, there are certain things that are yours now. There are certain things that happen for you now. If you've been raised with Christ, that means you are now part of a new family. If you've been raised with Christ, that means you've been adopted by God, the eternal and almighty Father. And with this incredible blessing comes both expectations as well as privileges. So being raised with Christ not only means we're part of a new family, but it also means we now have new expectations. Go to Colossians 3. Let's refresh our memories about some things happening in Colossians 3. First of all, there are things that we must take off. You remember this. We have to dress appropriately to come before the Lord. And no, that's not any modern thing about clothing in the way you might think of it. It certainly would apply there, I would say. 
But what he's saying here is that he uses this illustration. You've got to take certain things off in order to be dressed appropriately before the Lord. Here's what you've got to take off. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Then verse 8. You must put them all away. Take all these things off. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self. You've taken off that old clothing, and you've stopped those practices. So if there's certain things you've got to take off, there's certain things you've got to put on. Read me to Colossians 3.12. Colossians 3.12. Here's the way to be appropriately dressed to stand before the Lord. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on, be dressed in, be clothed in, be covered in love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, go down to verse, or go over to verse 10, Colossians 3.10. He says, if you've put on the new self, been clothed in, be wearing now, appropriately wearing the clothing of the new self, which God gives. You put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here's what you need to understand he's telling us using this imagery and this concept of family. You've been raised with Christ. You've been added to this brand new family. And now as part of this new family, if you'll allow my very earthly, very simple way of thinking, allow my terms to, to make sense to you. If you're now part of this family, you have to be identified with this family. You have to look like the other people in this family. It's kind of the idea. Because that's what happens, isn't it? You ever heard the phrase or said something like, remember who you are and whose you are? I think I've said that from this pulpit. First time I ever heard it was my civics teacher when I was in junior high. Mr. Ehrman. Every time we'd leave class, the bell would ring. Remember who you are and whose you are. First, it was just noise. I didn't know what it meant. But later on, as I got older and would think back, I remembered. I'm wearing a number of names when I leave this place. Above all things, I'm wearing the name Christ. I should be demonstrating that I belong to Him. But to use the family image, to use the family I'm wearing the name Warren. Not nearly as important as the name Christ, but... I'm wearing that name Warren. And I'm supposed to let others know that by the way I talk and walk and act, think and act that I identify with that family. Because isn't that what we do? A family shows likeness by, by imitating each other. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children. Jesus would say in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who's in heaven. So that I may look like him, be like him, imitate him, be his son. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. I'm to be like him and do the things he does. I show family likeness. Not by physical features. I show family likeness by imitating the one that I seek to be like. 
I also show family likeness and family connection by the way that I, I praise and brag on those in my family. It's a good thing for children to be proud of their parents. It's a good thing for family members, spouses, parents, children. It's a good thing for family members to want others to see that. It's not, it's not a bad thing for you to be proud of and thankful for your family. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And so what I'm emphasizing to you here, what the text is saying is this, we need to behave in such a way that honors that family. So just like you would want to behave in a way that honors your parents, beyond that, you should seek to behave in such a way that honors the Father of all, Almighty God Himself. In Matthew 5, 16, the Bible says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory. Listen to this. Give glory to your Father. By the things you do, the things you say, the ways you act, others should be able to glorify the Father. That's what a family does. We show family connection by seeking to, to please our Father. In Colossians chapter 3, at verse 22, I want to emphasize this to you. Colossians 3.22, he's speaking to bond servants here. But he says, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. We seek to please and honor and extol the greatness of our Heavenly Father in what we do. So what, what I'm showing to you, what I'm trying to, to say here is this. When you become a part of this new family, it's not just the, the little name. It's not just Warren. It's not the little name that you try to identify with. It's the grand name of Jesus the Christ. And if you would go out and try to have others be proud of and, and see and know and think about things and imitate your family, above all things, you are now expected to imitate the Father. You're now expected to give glory to the Father. You're now expected to please the Father above all other things. In anything you do, from big things to small things, you are expected now to be seeking to please the Father because you've been raised with Christ. He has added you to His family, and now this is the way you're to live. But I've saved the best for last. Because not only being added to this new family does it bring expectations but being added to this new family also brings great new privileges. He says in Colossians 3.24 that there's this special inheritance that's now ours. Remember, he said in all those other passages we read, Galatians 4, Romans 8, that when we've been adopted into God's family, we now are heirs with Christ. Of all the wonderful blessings that come with being part of this family, we have these, these new privileges. We have this inheritance a special blessing that's reserved for just for those who are in Christ. A special blessing reserved for those who've been raised up with Christ. We need to understand that the blessings and honor that are belonging to Jesus the Christ, amazingly, I, I, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around this, but the text actually says that the blessings and honor that are reserved for Christ are now also to be shared with all of his brothers, with all of the, the family of God. So if there's something that's for Christ, it's, it's for us as well in these ways. We're going to read through the Gospel of John 
make several observations from the Gospel of John because this is just this is just one place among many of the places that we've already read today that emphasizes this point. One of the new privileges we have, go to John chapter 4. John 4 is going to emphasize to us that when you've been raised up with Christ, when you're now part of the family of God, you're now amenable to a different authority. Now, I recognize, you may think at first, wait a minute, how is having a, an authority over you a blessing? Oh, man. I remember growing up how different it was. How, you know, you're to... You're to be kind to, you're to be civil, you're to be respectful of, of all those in positions of authority. We know that. Scripture says that. Be submissive to all those in places of authority. But there's something different about the messages, the commands, the rules of your parents. I wasn't amenable to my buddies down the street, not their mom and dad. I didn't have to be in my house when they said to be in my house. I had to be in my house when my dad said be in the house. There was something special about knowing he was the one that I came to, that I answered to. And so it says here in places like John chapter 4, at verse 34. John 4, 34. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. John 5, 19. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. John 6.38. This same point is going to continue to be hammered over and over and over. John 6.38, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And then finally, John 17, verse 4. John 17, 4. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. I do what you call me to do. So Jesus said this, one of the great privileges of being the son was to do what the father called him to do. Well, guess what? That's what we are called to do as well. We are now under this same headship. We are now those who seek to please and follow the will and the plan of God. But that also means we get to be loved by this same God. We have to be in fellowship with this same God. We have to be honored by this same God. Look at John chapter 12, verse 26. John 12, 26. Because we all know that the Father exalts His Son. Almighty God exalts Jesus the Christ, right? We know that. But look what it says in John 12, 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. Listen to this. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Then 17, 24, John 17, 24. Father, I desire, this is Jesus' prayer, the Son praying to the Father. Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given to me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. In other words, the blessings and honor that are mine, Father, I want you to share those with them. I want you to share those with these disciples and the ones that they'll teach and the ones that they'll teach and all the way down to you and me right here this morning. There are special privileges that God says He reserves for those who are in Christ. He reserves for those who've been raised with Christ. Loved in a way that others not loved. Honored in a way that others aren't honored. And brought into a place of eternal rest and peace 
that is reserved for only those who've been raised with Christ. I want you to think about your family this way. A family has expectations and being part of a, any specific family means you've got certain privileges that are part of that family. But if we've been raised with Christ, we've been added into and adopted into a brand new family, a family with new expectations and new privileges. And so we should dwell securely with God as our refuge. And we should seek to create homes that offer this kind of security and strength to those who dwell with therein. And it starts and it ends with Jesus. If you've been raised with Christ, all these other things are ours. If you've been raised with Christ, you're part of a new family. If you've been buried and raised with Christ, you now have new expectations of the way that you'll live. If you've been buried and raised with Christ, you now have new privileges that belong to you in a way that they never, ever did before. And he says, this is what it's like to be in my family. And may all of us seek to create smaller versions of that in our little homes, wherever we are. People who've been raised up with Christ and now live out those expectations and those privileges. Have you been raised with Christ? Have you been added by the Lord Himself to His new family? Have you been adopted into this new family and made heir with Christ with all these wonderful blessings? If the answer is no, then we ask you, why do you wait? But if the answer is yes, but you've not been showing honor to the father of the family, then we offer you this encouragement to change, to seek blessings, to seek forgiveness, to seek restoration. And if we can help you in any of these ways, we plead with you to come while we stand and sing.